0: It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger A spicy
1: Welcome to another edition of Raptors Pod Table. Carlin Gay alongside Gil McGregor. If you haven't already, please rate, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Pocket Cast. Anywhere you get your podcast, we are now there. Rock, Raptors Podtable Podcast is live everywhere across the world. Um, it's a Tuesday, which means it's a new episode for this wonderful podcast. And this kind of coincides, G, with our Recap or the rewind of the Raptors championship run from a season ago TSN and Sportsnet have been airing each game Every single night That will run all the way up until the Raptors are crowned champions in game six of the NBA finals Uh But we just recently went through the entire series A classic between the Raptors and Philadelphia 76ers And we're here to break it down and, and, and try to relive some of those moments Gee, um... First things first, before we even start, uh, rewatching this, what were some of the emotions that came up immediately?
0: It, it, like, they were all of them. You know, I, I was really reminded how much of an emotional roller coaster this entire series was. You know what I mean? So it, it, was, it went from, like, extremely confident in the Raptors to very concerned about the Raptors to not having any idea what's going on and everything in between. The, the series, like, people say it a lot, like, it's really cliche, like, this series had it all. But... The series literally had it all and that's what made it an instant classic.
1: Yeah, there was, you know, blowouts in the series. There were close games. Obviously, the classic game seven everyone always thinks about. But what I took away from it, it was re-watching and a lot of these games really came down to one or two plays and everything could have been different. And and I'll and I'll get to my overall thoughts at the end of this podcast, but uh I, I really and truly think that uh, this was the series that prepared the Raptors for the Eventual run that they would go on past this. So uh, let's get right into it, though. Let's get into the series itself, and we'll start off in game one of the series. Now, the Raptors had just beaten the Orlando Magic after losing game one. We know the history. Game ones, the Toronto Raptors, not, not really favorable in game ones. Uh, you know, under the Kyle and, and, and DeMar regime, they go ahead and, and kind of replicate that in game one of these playoffs losing to dj augustine in the orlando magic we talked about that last time on this pod um it, going into the game how are you feeling emotionally and did you think that the raptors could sort of get the ball rolling early giving the fact that they had home court advantage and their dominance against philadelphia at home
0: you know that was i guess the the one thing that allowed me to have a little confidence in them uh, coming into the series, they had won 13 straight games over Philadelphia at home. Uh, so that was just a tough place for Philadelphia to go and get a win. It was almost like something's got to give. You know, are, is there game one what was going to give, or is there history with Philadelphia going to give? And, and that's kind of where I was. Um, a lot of people were really confident in, in Toronto going to that series. I, I believe ESPN's writers – 17 out of 19 selected the Raptors to win that series and I thought that was a little bit I thought that was a little bit of a stretch, you know thinking about how talented that Sixers team was Um, But at the same time I thought that had to be substantiated somewhere So I had a little bit of confidence going into it But it was one of those things like I'll believe it when I see it more than anything
1: Yeah, uh, I think I had the the Raptors in this series and felt confident about it Um, game one after watching game one, there was no question I thought the Raptors were going to win the series. Little did I know, though, that I would be going on an emotional rollercoaster. So let's get to that game one. wasn't much of a game. was not much of a game. It was an absolute blowout for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, they came right out of the gates and really put the boots to 76ers. I mean, they, they pretty much led throughout the game. Uh, they, they end up winning, running away, winning it 108-95. Kawhi Leonard goes For a career high, playoff career high, ties his career high at that time, 45 points. Pascal Siakam misses only three shots in the game. He gives them 29. Uh, I mean, it was a game that uh, really put a spotlight on how good the Raptors could be when Siakam and Kawhi were clicking one and two.
0: Yeah, you know, you look at the final score and you see that they won by 13. But thinking back to that game and rewatching that game, it wasn't really that close. You know, it almost seemed like the Raptors were of a different class. And 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 everything that people had been saying coming into the series made a lot more sense just watching that game, seeing how good Kawhi was and the level that he played at. And like you said, how good the team can be when he and Siakam were both clicking at that level. It gave me so much confidence on top of the fact that they had seemingly just, you know, kind of gotten the jitters, those game one woes out of the way. All those things kind of contributed to that being such a such a, a great win for them and a tone setting win to go into that series. Not to mention um the the performance that Gasol did Mark Gasol had on the defensive end and guarding Joel Embiid. That was exactly why they brought him in at the trade deadline. And it's like, okay, well Joel Embiid is supposed to be this 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 one X factor that that puts them above. And now it's like, well Toronto has the answer. So there were so many things in that game one that there were reasons to be confident about the Raptors.
1: No question. When you talk about uh, the trade, uh, getting Kawhi Leonard, that was part one to the Raptors building a, a championship franchise. Obviously, Danny Green was a was you know you I, I, you could really can't discount what Danny Green brought to the table as well because he was a, a champion as well. Uh, was able to stretch the floor. He fit what the Raptors wanted to do. He wasn't going to ruin the pecking order in terms of scoring. Uh, and he was a great defender, so he took a lot of pressure off of Siakam and Kawhi from having to guard the best perimeter player all the time. So Danny Green was a, an important part of that trade coming over from San Antonio. But I think Marcus, Gasol, getting Marcus Gasol at the trade deadline, and I know the Raptors had to give up a lot to get him at the time. Getting Marcus Gasol at the trade deadline, you have uh, an established vet, a guy who's not going to be afraid of the moment. And as you said, he was the perfect uh, kryptonite. For for Joel Embiid and we saw that throughout the entire series. If the Raptors don't make the trade for Marcus Gasol and they still have Jonas Valančiūnas, uh, I don't know that the Raptors get past the 76ers in the series. No,
0: I agree. You know, you talk about the things that Gasol does and the his presence he had been there plenty of times before, not to say that Valančiūnas hasn't he he made a number of postseason appearances with uh, the Raptors, but just just Gasol's defensive presence, his ability to be a playmaker um, and, and really make plays from the elbow and, and as a passer and all those things that he did, a lot of times didn't even show up in the stat sheet, but his presence was just a different presence. Not to say it was better or that he's a better player, just you know, pound for pound than the, the Valanciunas, but what he brought to the table was so different as a defender, as a playmaker, as a veteran. It, it made him the perfect s- center for what they needed to do in that postseason run.
1: Yeah, no question about it. And that came up in round one as well, where the way he locked up uh, Nikola Vucevic in round one really set the tone that they could go, all right, we, we don't have to double this guy. Right. Gasol's got it. Everyone else could stay at home on their men. Uh, Gasol's got it. They could, they could figure it out from there. Uh, the Raptors win the game going away. First time in franchise history. They win five straight playoff games. Siakam and Kawhi alone outscored the Sixers starters. 74-71. Siakam and Kawhi alone. Just them two. Outscored the entire Sixers starting five, 74-71. Uh, the Sixers five shot from the field, 28 of 68 uh, from the field that game. Kawhi and Siakam shot 28 of 38. Missed 10 shots the entire game. It, it really was a special, special performance from both those guys. I know Kawhi had the, the career high, the, tied his career high with 45. Uh, but Siaka missed three shots from the field and was great, was absolutely great. Uh, it also put an end to Joel Embiid's uh, minutes slash points stat that he had going on. Coming into the game, he had 99 points in 97 minutes. He was one of the only players uh, last in last year's playoffs to be able to have that, having more points than minutes scored. Uh, he came out of the first round with that and lost it in this game, and that was the beginning of the way that you know uh, Gasol was able to, to kind of lock him up. So you get the big win in game one. At home, crowd's going crazy. We now move to game two, where the Sixers finally show up, slow the game down, get the gritty win on the road, 94-89 in game two. Jimmy Butler takes over. Jimmy Butler shows up. This is the game that we talked about the trade being important for Mark Gasol to come over. Uh, This was why the Sixers went out and got a Jimmy Butler. For moments like this
0: no exactly and that's kind of one of the things i was thinking about looking at the landscape of this series you know in this day and age in basketball a lot of times teams are built through free agency but the sixers team and this raptors team were two teams who their their front office and management went all the way in and went in win now mode and made some risk reward trades and jimmy butler was one of those moves you talk about his performance that game 30 points 11 boards and really again talk about the presence his um just this poise in a lot of the, the moments um, that they that they needed him. They never had a guy like that before. I think that he was a steadying force that, you know, when there was a stalemate, is it gonna be Ben? Is it gonna be Joel? No, nah, it's gonna be Jimmy. And Jimmy stepped up in a lot of those moments and, and delivered a win and, and snapped that 14 game losing streak that that Philly had in Toronto. And I think um, it took A lot from him to dig in and do that, and it was you look at the way they won the game, that was the Raptors' first time being held under 90 points since December uh, of the regular season. Uh, So it was so many things about that game um, that really kind of threw a wrench in everything that we kind of thought about the series based off of game one.
1: Yeah, uh, and Joel Embiid said after game one that he needed to play better. He said that the two other stars played well and they needed him to step up, he didn't have his best game. When you look at the box score, 12 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds, 6 turnovers in the game. You would think to yourself, and he was only 2 of 7 from the field. You would think to yourself, well, I mean, Joel Embiid did not have the best of games. But he played his butt off in that game. Uh, he had the big shot uh, to, to, to kind of seal the victory late in the game. 24 seconds left on the clock. Uh, he gives you that hook shot for 2 late in the game. And that was really what sealed it. Because at that time, it was a one-point game. It was 90-89. to 89. Raptors would not score for the rest of the way. Embiid hits that big shot. And, and then there's free throws to kind of seal it the rest of the way. So, that, I mean, that shot alone was worth the price of admission for your franchise guy to go and get it. And then, by the way, on the defensive end, he did an incredible job. No one on the Sixers team defended more field goal attempts than Joel Embiid in Game 2 of that series. 23 field goal attempts he defended, only allowed 26% shooting on those attempts. Joel Embiid locked in defensively. He brought it in game two, and that was the first game where we saw Joel Embiid really locking in on Pascal Siakam, and that's what really changed the series.
0: Yeah, that definitely, definitely, uh, swung the series. You talk about that shot that he made. I think that's just kind of like a big characteristic of a star. You know, he finished the game two for seven, but. You know doesn't matter how well they're playing up to that point or how poorly they're playing up to that point when they know their team needs them in that moment they step up they make the play that needs to be made and that's exactly what he did and i think that that is huge for confidence on both ends of the floor you know i think he's a smart enough player to understand i'm impacting the game even though my numbers might not necessarily reflect it um and i'm gonna i'm gonna make a play when, when it's time to make a play you know jimmy kind of was the guy all throughout the game and it's crazy to think that you know, Toronto really really was kind of hanging around there, but they just did not have enough. And, and the big stat that kind of stands out to me from looking at at, at that box score, um, coming into the series and throughout the year after all the trades they made, people were talking about the Sixers' depth. The Sixers' depth. Well, their bench outscored Toronto's bench twenty-six to five that game, and that was wow. something that was really 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 concerning. James Ennis came in and played some great minutes. Greg Moreau had a little inve- revenge aspect going on; had ten points off the bench. But you you can't win very many playoff games, if any, with your reserves only giving you five points. And that was something that was glaring from that game.
1: Yeah, Greg Monroe Monroe had not only the points, but defensively he was great too. I mean, he gave him, as you said, 10 points in in 11 minutes in that game. Uh, But he defended really well and made things tough in and around the rim when you thought that they didn't have a rim protector on the floor when Joel Embiid wasn't playing. Well, Monroe came in and, and did his thing in terms of protecting the rim. The, the big change for Philadelphia, and this is something that they kind of struggled with for the rest of the series, was this was the beginning of getting the ball out of Ben Simmons's hands. Uh, and he, he couldn't really do much. He didn't really have much impact on the game going forward. Uh, and that's really where, you know, the media started hammering him and the fans started hammering him in, in Philadelphia to get involved some way, somehow. It, in this game, a usage rate of 10.2, lowest on the team. Lowest on the team. And you're you're talking about guys like Jonah Bolden, guys like James Ennis, guys like uh, Greg Monroe, who have a higher uh, usage rate than him in the game. And granted, Ben Simmons obviously played a lot more time, and that has to be factored into it. Uh, But you have your best player, your starting point guard, an all-star at this point, and he's barely touching the rock. He's barely having an impact on the game. And also, usage rate also is weighted more to guys who take more jump shots or just field goal attempts, period. So that has to come into account. But an average usage rate is probably around 20. Ben Simmons is giving you around 10.2 in a game. That just can't happen from your all-star. Was not aggressive at all. And some way, somehow, the Sixers were able to escape the game with the victory. The other thing as well, Pascal Siakam, if you remember the start of that game, his first basket was a, a crossover, spin in the lane, over Joel Embiid, where it had the crowd ooing and aahing, he went 9 for 25 from the field the rest of the way. Still had 20, 21 points, but 9 for 25 from the field. And like I said, this was the beginning of where Joel Embiid started locking in on Siakam.
0: Yeah, you know, you talk about Siakam, and, and, and then he, he and Lowry combined to shoot uh, 16 for 42. So it wasn't, wasn't great shooting. It, it seemed like, really, it was just Kawhi that game. He had 35. He shot 54% from the field. And they still had a chance and it was really just him having that 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 efficient uh game and, and at that point in the series it, it it was almost it wasn't cause for concern just yet but the fact that, that was kind of like looking at that game this is the formula for stealing home court from a team you know their star might go off but if you can Um, make things difficult for everybody else, you kind of have a chance, and it's anybody's game. And I think that's what it came down to. It was anybody's game late. Sixers had a slight edge because they were playing uh, from ahead, and and then they ended up making more plays at the end of the game. Because that, from remembering watching it the first time and and going back to rewatch it, the thing was that the, the Raptors still had chances. They had a chance to tie the game late. They had chances to, to, to make things uh, interesting down the stretch, and they, they just did not have enough. And I think that the Sixers, the way they did it, especially with, with your starting point guard having such a low usage rate, it's, it's crazy to think that they were able to pull that win out. But, again, it goes to um, having Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid being, you know, if Kawhi was the best player on the floor, Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid were two and three, and you could argue about that whichever the way you could rank it. Um, but that's what benefited
1: and it led them to their win. No question about it. So, so game two goes to the 76ers. They steal home court advantage away from the Raptors, and they put it to good use in game three. Another blowout, this time in favor of the Philadelphia 76ers. This game was ugly for the Toronto Raptors. They just did not have a great game from the field, shot under 30% from three-point range. Uh, they embarrassed themselves from the free-throw line. They couldn't hit anything there. It was really Kawhi and, you know, Pascal had 20 points, but it was window dressing at that point. Uh, This is the beginning of where we start to see Fred Van Vliet's struggles show up big time. He's coming off the bench still at this point. Uh, Now we know that it turns out that he's a starter. He's a starting guard on the team and, uh, you know, a terrific player who's going to get a lot of money in free agency this summer that point, he was set to be the sixth man for this Raptors squad, and he was giving them zilch to this point in the series, and now they're in trouble. One point, 0 for 7 from the field in Game 3, couldn't get anything going. It looked as if every time he touched the ball that the length of the Sixers really started causing problems. And it wasn't just uh, Ben Simmons. It wasn't just Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris. We're talking about James Ennis now coming off and being able to guard a Fred Van Vliet. I don't know what you know about James Ennis, but no one thought that he was a great defender coming into this series. And Fred Van Vliet was making him look like prime Roman <laughs> in in this, in this, in this situation. So 0 for 1, 0 for 7 from the field, one point, a minus 10. And, and now we start to see, well, can the Raptors get it done? Are they deep enough?
0: Yeah. You know, this is the moment in the series, which kind of, things kind of swung for me. It was like, this is time to hit the panic button. You know, that, that, they go into the fourth quarter down eight points and then, the Sixers just ring off. I believe it was it was a 21-3 to 3 run to start the fourth quarter, and it just got bad quickly. And it was like, you know, you already lost home court advantage. The, the Sixers are getting so much momentum in that win. It, it felt like they were winning more than one game in that moment. It, it, it was almost like, how do the Raptors bounce back from this? Um, it, it seemed like... It, it kinda it kinda started getting flashbacks to years past. You know, maybe the Sixers had too much talent for the Raptors to combat with. And after the game we talked about Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry was also uh, two for ten in that game for seven points. Kyle Lowry had that quote that we've gotta be better, we've gotta help Kawhi out. Um up to that point in the series, Kawhi was forty-five in game one, thirty-five 35 in, in game two, and thirty-three in, in game three, and you're down one to two. Your your best players playing this well. And you aren't able to do enough to support him to get a win. That you should you should be able to win those games. So that was a, a really big cause of concern. And I really started to question whether or not they could come out of that hole.
1: Yeah, that's that's when the questions started being asked. But they just needed to win one to get things back in order. And then the house is no longer on fire. And when you have a player like Kawhi Leonard, that would happen. Before we move on to the game four, uh Joel Embiid had his best game of the series by far. 33 points, 10 rebounds, 5 blocks. And don't forget, that windmill slam and the subsequent airplane down the floor. Uh, that was a key moment, not only in that game, but it would be rehashed later on in the series. Because I think if he doesn't do that, I don't know that the, you know the, the Raptors fans would have such vitriol for him. Uh, When they go back to Toronto for game five. Uh, But let's go to game four first. The Raptors, gutsy win on the road. Uh, Kawhi Leonard saves the series with a clutch three and a great performance 39 points, 14 rebounds, five assists. Dude shot 65% from the field. He shot 72% from three uh, or 71% from three. I mean, what more did you want Kawhi Leonard to do? In a game that they needed, they couldn't go down three to one. Could not go down three to one. Kawhi Leonard shows up and he's saying, "All right, if we're not gonna do it, I'll get you guys on my back. Let's go." That
0: this is why you make trades for guys like that. You know that that in that moment, that three hit the performance in itself. Everything it, it shows exactly why you have a guy like that. That's why. In the end of the day, when it comes down to winning playoff series, it's important to have the best player in the series. You know, you could say that the Sixers, you know, one through five might have had more pure talent than the Raptors did. But number one, the most talented player in that series was Kawhi Leonard. And he showed exactly he was not afraid of the moment. He knew what needed to be done. And he went out there and did it. You know, I think that when everybody was, you know, panicking, that was his performance. Was it was able to calm everybody down a little bit. He was that calming force ultimately and understanding. Like you said, if we're not gonna be able to get it done, just get on my back and and I will lead you there. And he was able. He got the necessary help. Kyle Lowry was much more efficient than six for 13, 14 points. Gasol sixteen points. Serge Ibaka twelve off the bench. Um and 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 then again another note of Kawhi. That was the sixth time in the first nine games of the postseason that he scored thirty or more points. So he was. At at that moment, you're starting to think, man, this guy is on on kind of an historic tear and and he's kind of playing at an historic pace and he scored 30 in every game this series. Like He's doing some some
1: pretty amazing things. Yeah, he was incredible in that game four. Uh, Siakam, however, was not that good. Two for 10 from the field, nine points. Uh, He shot 0 for four from three. You start to see the hesitancy now in Siakam's game and taking those mid-range jumpers that Embiid wanted him to take. Uh, it it was, it was not looking good for the Raptors going forward and we needed to see Pascal Siakam get back to what he was doing in the regular season, play without fear, go out there, let it fly. Game four, had they lost that game, I think a lot of blame would have went to Pascal Siakam, uh, because of the way that he was so hesitant in that game four. And oh, by the way, if you're still wondering what Fred VanVleet's doing, 0 for 2 from the field, did not score a single point, minus 6 only played seven minutes in the game. Nick Nurse is a guy that is not afraid to shake things up. If you're not playing well, he's going to pull you. doesn't matter who you are. Seven minutes on the floor for Fred Van Vliet, the guy he's trusted all season long to perform. He knew he couldn't play him. He could look at him and tell that the, just the confidence was not there. He was not going to get a good effort out of Freddie and pulled him and only played him seven minutes. The Raptors went six in their rotation that, year, that game, basically. Uh, with McCaw and Norman Powell, who was giving you nothing as well for spot minutes. Uh, It it was scary rotation-wise for the Raptors at that point, going only six deep. And coming into the series... You thought the Raptors were a deeper team than the
0: Sixers, right? You know you, uh, that's kind of crazy to think, and I guess that was kind of you, you mentioned Siakam. You mentioned that as well. Like you look look at this box score and revisiting it, that was kind of like a game seven type rotation when you you really you shrink it down and you just play these guys. And Serge Ibaka's is the only reserve that plays in more than ten minutes, and he plays thirty two minutes. Um, another thing that that Nurse had started to do a little bit around this time was playing Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol on the floor together uh, to to make things a little bit more difficult. Um, and that's kind of, uh, uh, again, you're not, he's not afraid to, to sit you. He's also not afraid to think outside of the box. So, you know, these are two guys who we didn't really think that we would see play alongside uh, one another. You're starting to see that, that, that look on the court and how that kind of can make things difficult for a team like the Sixers who are known for their length. Combat that with Pascal Siakam coming into the game. We didn't even know if he was going to play because of the injury that happened in game three, whether or not he tripped uh, Joel Embiid or whatever, but ended up straining his calf. And that, again, hit the panic button again because this is this is your guy who you're leaning on. He had that big performance in, in the first round against Orlando. If this guy's not going to be 100%, you're probably in trouble because you aren't getting much from Van Vliet. You aren't getting much from Powell. And Lowry has struggled to open the series. So even with that win, um, the way they had to dig in to get it, now it's best two out of three. And ultimately, it's anybody's series.
1: Yeah, at least they get back uh, HCA and, and, and go back to Bank with the series tied versus going there uh, down 3-1. Of course, you don't know what HCA is, home court advantage. Uh, they go back leading into game five, series tied at two. As you mentioned, there was questions around how healthy Siakam was, uh, the nervousness around in these moments in history. The Raptors have always kind of stubbed their toe in these sort of moments. Uh, they have the chance, they have an opportunity to really take control of the series. Whenever they're the front runners, never seems to work out for them. Guess what? They have Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam shows back up. 25 points to lead the team, finally bouncing back. And the Raptors in this game started attacking more, getting to the line. And also, their three-point shot was falling. 16 threes in the game, they shot 40% from three-point range. A lot of that had to do with Marcus Gasol, who at times... Little reluctant to shoot the three, not in Game Five of this series. Went three for five uh, from three-point range. He was getting them up. Uh, finished with eleven points, and again, the good job defensively on Joel Embiid.
0: Yeah, you know, you look at the way that game kind of played out and unfolded. It's it's the perfect uh, way to illustrate where our emotions went because I went from being so unsure, not knowing if Pascal was going to play, and and this that in the third prior to Game Four. To this blowout victory, this thirty-six point win, and I want to say it's the largest postseason win in in franchise history. I I, I was, it's over in my mind. I'm thinking they're going to go back to Philadelphia and and handle business because one thing that one lasting image aside from the airplanes that we'll talk about a little bit, but the look that they that the dejected look that all the Sixers players had on the bench at the end of the game when they just kind of panned by, it looked like. Oh, We've been figured out. We don't have a chance anymore. We don't have enough for this team This is how it was going to be coming in you know that this is why 17 out of 19 riders Chose the Raptors to win this series because they really can't hang it seemed like the Raptors had figured it out Had a breakthrough and
1: they would no longer have to deal with anything and they were gonna wrap it up Yeah, it, it did feel like the series was over it did feel like we were going back to Philadelphia and, and the Raptors were going to set themselves up go on to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, update on Fred Van Vliet. Five points, baby. Five points in Game Five. Five points from Fred Van Vliet in Game Five. He went two for five from the field. Uh, still, you just you just wasn't able to to really get it going against this team. Wh- whatever it was, whether he was on his own head, all the stuff that was happening off the court for him, whether it was the length for the Sixers that really bothered him, we'll never know. But he was just he was just bad in this series as a whole. Uh, on the other end, Joel Embiid. One of his worst games of the series. He had 13 points. He did shoot 50% from the field. He had, but he had eight turnovers. Eight turnovers and was a minus 16 in the game. Um, The the fans reminded Joel what he did in game three with the airplane coming down the court. Once uh, this game got out of hand and it got out of hand real quick, the fans, cleverly led by Drake, would go uh, airplane mode on their own, making fun of Joel Embiid, another layer to this series. It was it was really an interesting series, both on the court and off the court.
0: Yes, that's def- definitely a lasting image. You know, you, you think, like you said, you think back to that game three windmill that he had and, and the way he was kind of, you know, Joel Embiid plays with so much passion, and that's part of the reason why he is who he is and why fans appreciate him. That's why he's an all-star starter. That's why the fans love him for who he is. And... Um, that was the perfect example of all that emotion that that he was able to show with, with that with that celebration of the airplane. But just seeing the entire Scotiabank Arena crowd and seeing Drake out on the front row, you know, add a little extra to it. You know, I think, and then and then from there, just pan to those ejected faces that I kind of mentioned earlier. It, it was like, oh, see, this is why you don't 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 poke the sleeping giant. You know, this is why the Raptors are are a team made up of guys. Who have done it before? Champs and Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard and Patrick McCall. Um, but you know, uh, these are this is why you don't wake them. And now they were responding, and it's like you know you haven't been there before yet. So so wait till you get all the way
1: there to celebrate. Yeah, uh, we go to Game Six. Philadelphia with their backs against the walls at the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, they come away with a huge, huge victory to force a Game Seven uh, again. Jimmy Butler shows up big time. That's the reason why they go out and get him. This was the first game. I think Tobias Harris made some noise. James Ennis uh, had some big plays. Mike Scott was knocking down three pointers like it was going out of style. Ben Simmons had his best game of the playoffs by or, or the series rather, by far, uh, going for 21, uh, eight rebounds, six assists. He, I mean, took 13 shots. It was rare for him in this game. Was able to get to the line. Did it all. Uh, they even played Boban a little bit Boban of course uh, was on the team At that point they went deep into their bench They I mean Brett Brown threw everything At this team and it felt like The Raptors didn't lose this game It felt like they ran out of gas in this one um, it, it, would, like, it was Kawhi uh, you know, Pascal had a better game but after that, really struggling from the field for the rest of the team.
0: Yeah, you know, that's kind of one of the things that when I was going back through my feelings and and things that I was thinking of after each game, the thing that I said about this one is Toronto didn't have enough. That was it. They just did not have enough, kind of like you said. another uh, Two more glaring shafts in the box score. Philly out-rebounds Toronto 52-34, to 34. Joel Embiid didn't have a, a great game, uh, you know, five for 14, 17 points, twelve boards, but he was plus forty in the box score. Like it, it was just, it was just one of those weird games where the biggest takeaway from that game is that man, I I, I don't know what to, is gonna come of this series, and I should have I should have had that takeaway after game two and, and stop trying to think, oh, they're in trouble, they're in trouble. But it took me six games to go into game seven to realize, you know, anything I could, I wouldn't be, I, I nothing at that point was gonna surprise me if if there was a blowout in game seven either way, or if it was a close game either way, it was so unpredictable because these teams were so unpredictable and there were so many moving parts and variables with each roster, it was too hard to predict.
1: Yeah, heading into game seven, we had a 13 point win for the Raptors. The Sixers come back, win by five. Then a 21-point blowout win for the Philadelphia 76ers. In game three, a five-point response for the Raptors to tie the series up. We get a 36-point blowout win for the Raptors at home. Sixers force game seven with an 11-point win. And I don't think it was as close as that scoreline would suggest. Then we go to game seven, a absolute classic. Everybody wants to re-watch this game, even though you know the outcome. The four-bounce game comes down to the last shot. Uh, There are so many little things that happen in this game. Um, Where where do you want to start? We know the result now. 92-90. Kawhi Leonard hits the game-winning series-clinching shot to send the Raptors through to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, 41-point night for Kawhi. Serge Ibaka had a big game. Um, Siakam. Decent game. He had a double-double of 11 points, 11 rebounds, but just really struggled from the field. Embiid did a terrific job defensively on him. Lowry couldn't get anything going. Let me not even talk about Fred VanVleet because he wasn't good. Uh, but this was actually Fred's one of Fred's better games. He was a he was a positive in this game. Didn't hit a single shot, but he got to the line four times. Finished with four points, and he was a plus 10. So he was trying to he was trying to do stuff. Uh, Danny Green couldn't hit shots, it felt like. And, and even when he was trying to take them, they, they just weren't falling for him. And we started to question whether or not Danny Green needed you know, needed help. This was all about Kawhi Leonard and what he was able to do uh, in this series. He goes for 40 for the second time. And the great finish. I mean, the last five minutes of this game is probably one of the most intense second-round finishes you, you, you had. And I remember at the time watching the game thinking to myself, it's going to come down to the last shot. And the Raptors are either going to repeat history in the same vein where Vince Carter missed that final shot to send them to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucs way back when. uh, Or they would kind of erase that history and, and, and the Sixers would have to taste that sour moment with someone hitting a game winner and and this time would be the raptors going on to the eastern conference finals rather than the sixers what 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 sticks out most about this game to you when you look back and we've rewatched it now just thinking about coming into it
0: just just it was so tense it, it was so much tension you know you talk about the parallels to 2001 there are all the questions. Is this going to be Kawhi's last game in a Raptors uniform? Is this going to be Danny Green's last game in a Raptors uniform? Is it going to be Jimmy Butler's last game in a Sixers uniform? And the same goes for Tobias Harris and J.J. Redick. So much was riding on this one game for both franchises because, like we said, Elton Brand and Masai Jerry and, and Bobby Webster, they went all the way in to win in 2019. And it all came down to that moment right there. Those 48 minutes right there meant so much not just for that day and what it meant for advancing in the postseason, but what it meant for everything that they all, all the assets in the future that they had given up, all the players they had given up to get to that spot. There was so much riding on it. You you could feel it from the first minute of that game that everything had just even even more importance. Cause obviously, you know, we had watched the game seven earlier in the day with Um, Denver and Portland and that was for a ride to go to the Western Conference Finals and ultimately lose to the Warriors we kind of knew that that's what that was but there was it it was just such a different type of tension that, that really set the scene for it to be such a classic game in a series that had literally everything I think that's how we saw such an emotional game with such an emotional finish because there was so much riding on it coming into it and you didn't know what to expect
1: yeah, it was it was big time basketball. I mean, it ten lead changes. Uh, it was tied seven times throughout the game. Points in the paint, the Raptors took that. Uh, they they really dominated the bully ball inside. They were able to get out and run on the floor. Fast break points, the Raptors won that sixteen to six. Biggest leads of the game weren't there. Both teams were fighting back and forth. The Raptors only won the first quarter in terms of scoring. They won that 18 to 13 by five points. The other three quarters, they were outscored in each and every single one of them. They were out, they lost each and every single one of those quarters. End up winning the game by two points on the Kawhi Leonard, uh, on the Kawhi Leonard shot. Kawhi was Kawhi was terrific, man. He, I mean <laughs> he he was he was awesome in in that game. Uh, he was guarded most by Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons did a heck of a job of guarding Kawhi Leonard in that game. Kawhi Leonard was 2 for 11 with Ben Simmons guarding him. 18% from the field. Uh, anyone else, he torched them. Torched them. But, but Ben Simmons was getting killed in that series, and everybody was wondering, well, why, why do you have this guy? He's not shooting anything. He's not doing anything on offense. That's why you had him. 2 for 11, Kawhi Leonard was from the field, and he was blocked twice. 18% from the field. And this is a dude that scored 41 points to finish the game and had the game winner. Um, so credit to Ben Simmons. same thing goes to Joel Embiid. He, he, he played his butt off. You see the, the the pictures of him crying off the court knowing that he had a chance to, to move on to the Eastern Conference. That was such an emotional, emotional series. And as you said, the Sixers haven't been the same since. I mean, they if they win that game, there's a good chance that they beat the Milwaukee Bucks and a good chance that we're calling them the 2019 NBA champions, but it's the Raptors that are able to get it done, and that sets this franchise uh, you know, uh, on, on a historic run, and they end up beating the Milwaukee Bucks, and they beat the, the Golden State Warriors in the finals, and everything changes. If they lose that game, I mean, what happens? We know that Kawhi is leaving. We know that Danny Green's left as well. What do you do? Do you blow the team up at that point? You, do, do you bother keeping Kyle Lowry for more years? Do you do you get ahead of it and trade Fred Van Vliet because you know he only has one more year on the contract? Or do you give him the big contract at that time and say, here, here uh, you're now the, the franchise player uh, at the point guard position. Let's try and build around you and Siakam. Did they trade Gasol and say, you know what? We, we tried our best here. Let's see if we can get some assets and, and try to build for the future. So much, I mean, so much could have been different if those four bounces don't fall. Yeah,
0: that, that's kind of crazy to think about because you, you talk about something that we've kind of talked about with. Kyle Lowry all season, kind of having that, that that monkey off of his back this year that he has uh, a, a, just a different demeanor and persona now that he's a champion. You know, the, the fact that they didn't make any moves at the trade deadline, the Raptors didn't make it in the 2020 trade deadline, because the guys on the roster have that that championship DNA. Well, all that is because that shot fell, and all that is because they were able to go and, and have that historic path to continue to win a championship. But you're having completely different conversations about this roster. Those guys might not necessarily have the same mentality. It might not necessarily have the same confidence in themselves. For Evan Vliet, doesn't have an opportunity to work out of the slump that he would eventually do uh, against Milwaukee. You know, a lot of the the, the narratives and the storylines for so many people change drastically. Just because they were able to, to to continue to play and achieve more for themselves, you know, just the con- entire outlook of the franchise and, and the way that certain players um, kind of approach things, it, it could be completely different. I, I think that you know you talk about uh, you look at where this Raptors team is now. You know, main chief guys go. They don't really necessarily make huge moves to replace a guy like Kawhi and a guy like Danny Green. They believe the answer's on the roster. I think a big part of even though Nobu didn't even play in any of the games, just being along for that championship run did so much for every single player on that roster, and it wouldn't be possible without this Game 7 victory.
1: When you look back at some of the storylines from this series, I, I think about what the, the switching of Brett Brown, of, of, of having Brett, Brett Brown's adjustment, of having Embiid guard Siakam for a large part of that series really is what extended that. Because if he doesn't make that change, the Raptors probably win that in five, maybe six games. Uh, That change alone had Joel Embiid guarding Siakam more than anyone in that series, held Siakam to just 39 points in 110 possessions. Uh, He shot 32.6 from the field with Embiid guarding him, 25% from three-point range with Embiid guarding him. and Embiid blocked him six times. Um, no one else other than Draymond Green spent more time in the playoffs on Pascal Siakam. And he torched Draymond Green. He shot 47% from the field when Draymond Green was guarding him. Um, but something about Joel Embiid guarding him and that length, that size, and he was also hesitant, maybe chalk it up to the injury issue, uh, that he was working his way through in the middle part of that series. But from the way that he started the series to the way that he ended the series, the fact that the Raptors... Had won that series is so surprising because if you had told me that Pascal Siakam would look as good as he did in game one and finish the series looking as bad as he did uh, in, in game seven, I would have said the Raptors at home.
0: Yeah, no no doubt. Um, you know, I, I remember at the time Scott kind of took a close, Scott Rafferty, who was also a voice on the Raptors pod table, took a, took a close, in-depth look of, of Joel B's defense. And it wasn't anything that like, it, it wasn't like rocket science. Everybody knew what was going on. We saw that Joel Embiid was guarding him a certain way and taking certain things away from him. But at that point in time, th- there wasn't really much he could do about it on on the fly to figure that out. In, in retrospect, I think um, those lessons are easier to learn in a win. That they that, 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 And I say that to say the Raptors were able to win despite him playing like that. I think it's an easier pill to swallow to say, this offseason, I'm going to work on this, and I'm going to get to the point where guys can't guard me like that anymore. And you kind of see that in the improvements that he's made. There's still some some area for growth, which is an exciting prospect for the Raptors, that he can make that growth. But I think that that that's the biggest takeaway that See, I can realize that it's it's a lesson you learn, and a win, and, and you win in spite of that, and you keep going and pushing forward. And now he's trying to add that next wrinkle to the game. So in the future, guys can't guard him the way that Joel
1: Embiid was able to do. Yeah, he was primarily a corner three shooter. Now he's shooting above the break. Uh, primarily a guy that was catch and shoot. Now he's taking more shots off the dribble. Uh, so those little wrinkles he's added to his game, or uh, you know, putting him in position that made him into an all star starter this season, but. This is some of the downfall of us not having a season to to really watch right now. Because right now is when we'd be gearing up and saying, asking the question. Well, we already asked the question, well, can Pascal Siakam carry a team deep into a playoffs? That's the next question we got to ask him. Can he become an all-star? He did that this season. The next question is, can he be the guy on a playoff team, a team that's trying to run through the rugs of championship? And we would have some of those answers in the next couple of weeks had the season been happening. And the way we would have found out his growth, really, and what he's done in the offseason is because a lot of teams, whoever they played in the first round, would have been guarding him the exact same way the Sixers did a season ago. Uh, granted, they don't have a Joel Embiid who has, you know, as when he's engaged, as good a defender as you'll find in the NBA for at the big man spot. But there, there is, you know, guys and players that, you, that can replicate that sort of style uh, where you just back off of him and say, we'll give you the jump shot all day. And. You got to beat us from out there. You're not. You're not gonna. You're not gonna give us classic Pascal Siakam spin and and find yourself at the cup every single time. So that would have been interesting to see, and that would have been uh, uh you know, very. Uh, we'd find out very quickly how far the Raptors could go or how quickly they would have been bounced in the playoffs uh, with that just little bit of offense. And and also the fact that Norman Powell and Fred Van VanVleet were embarrassingly bad in that Sixer series. They were on. They have that newfound confidence, as you said. You know Things change when you're wearing a ring. They would be going on into this playoff series with that sort of confidence. We've seen what Norm Powell has done this season. Imagine him sort of you know, the, the switch flipping for him in the playoffs and him being able to bring that to the table. So um, both teams look different. Uh, but I have to ask, if they squared off in the playoffs this season, it would have probably been in the second round. This season, the way the teams are made up, assume everyone's healthy. Do you think the Raptors get past the Sixers this time around?
0: Man, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a really compelling thing to think about and look at just because the Sixers, and, I, and I've said this for a while, coming into the season they were my pick to go to the finals. They are the ultimate wild card. You talk about talent um, and all the talent on that roster. They, they, could, they could be a first-round exit or they could make it to the finals. All that to say, I do think the Raptors are more consistent and they have a, a little more, um, I guess, they're a little more reliable than the Sixers team. And since they're less of a wild card, I would take the Raptors in the series in probably about six games, partly because the Sixers just don't know how to win on the road. They've lost on the road when healthy. They've lost on the road when hurt. They, they just are, are a poor road team. And when you're going to be the you know fifth or sixth seed, or whatever it might be that they end up, end up being this season, you have to. That, that's the only thing you can do is win on the road. And I don't see something clicking for them to figure that, that problem out. Um, and I think that the Raptors are a battle tested the team. They're just as good on the road as they are at, at home. And uh, I think they will find a way to dig deep and just really have that extra that extra um, gear, kind of like how I was saying um, in, one of the, in, in game six that, that the Toronto just didn't have enough. I think there will be some of those games where Philadelphia just doesn't have enough of, of it, whatever it is, to where the Raptors would, would, would be able to
1: handle them. I think I think that's a good point. I think the Raptors, after winning a championship, now have that quote-unquote it. There was a time where Paul Pierce called them out for not having that quote-unquote it, and they end up getting swept in the playoffs by the Washington Wizards. Those aren't your dad, that's, that's your daddy's Raptors. These aren't today's Raptors. Today's Raptors have that quote-unquote it. They're not getting swept from a lower seed, seeded team with home court advantage. Uh, they have that veteran presence. Uh, being 100% healthy, we still haven't been able to see that all season long, this team could be pretty good. Uh, And, you know, some of the injuries at the time that it happened for the Raptors this year were sort of a blessing in disguise because you got to find out what Rondé Hollis-Jefferson can do. You got to find out that Chris Boucher is not afraid and can indeed play in the NBA. You got to find out that Norman Powell is is, is, as electric a player coming off the bench in the conference. You got to find out that Fred Van Vliet can be a guy that starts right next to Kyle Lowry, and you, you, even though you have two guys that are six foot in your backcourt, that shouldn't be a problem. You're still able to get, you know, close to fifty wins on a season and be the second best team in the uh, in the Eastern Conference. So it is. I, I would. I'm, I'm with you. I think the Raptors win that in six. I think the Sixers are a little bit too up and down, even given the fact that, uh, you know, they are they are a good team. They probably have the better player of the entire series, and Joel Embiid. I think Joel Embiid, if you were to rank the players, would be the best player when he's healthy, when he's engaged. But the Raptors probably have maybe two, three, and four uh, when you rank him out after that. Um, and and Ben Simmons still, without a jump shot, how does he affect the game? And, and Tobias Harris, I, I I don't know. I, I just don't know. Um, maybe, and then Al Horford. Maybe if Al Horford goes back to his youth, <laughs> finds his <laughs> youth some way, somehow. It's a nice way of me saying he's washed. Uh, maybe the Sixers figure it out, but right now the Raptors' deeper team, uh, if they're healthy, they're ready to go, and, and they get past the Sixers in at least six games. Less, mo, at most six games, I should say. Not least. At most six games. Um, before we go, is there anything that stuck out to you of the Game 7? Because that Game 7 was a thriller. The one thing that comes to my mind is Jimmy Butler's big-time layup on the fast break and what—I mean, that layup to, to potentially force overtime— um, that the way that that deflated the crowd leading into the timeout, you could hear a pin drop in the arena um, when, when he had that bucket and the way that they the sixers were puffing their chest out going back to the bench, that overtime would have been up for grabs. Like I, I know the you always kind of been on the home team when in an overtime situation, but that, that there, there would have been so much pressure on the Raptors to go out and get that victory in overtime, that every shot, if it doesn't fall, the crowd starts to groan and starts to clutch their seat a little bit. And the Sixers would have been playing so free and careless, led by Jimmy Butler. Uh, I don't know that the Raptors would have pulled that out in overtime.
0: Yeah, no, you you think about that, like the the momentum had completely shifted. You know, Uh, Kawhi had missed a free throw. and, uh, and, And again, it was kind of that whole thing of, oh, man. Here we go again. You know, you kind of, kind of nervous. You get flashbacks, like you said, of, of your of your dad's Raptors. You get you get flashbacks of years past, and it's like, man, if this goes into an extra period, can we really can we really hang in there? Can, can the Raptors really hang in there? Um, and Jimmy Butler wasn't even it wasn't like an uncut. It was a tough layup that he went down and made to tie the game. And like you said, I think it added a lot of confidence to that Sixers team. And Jimmy Butler recently said on a podcast with, with J.J. Reddick, we knew that if we were going to overtime that, that we were going to win that game. That's what Jimmy Butler said. So I think that they did have that confidence and knew if they could just get that stop, all that tension that I talked about, the weight of, of is Kawhi going to leave, is Danny Green going to stay, all that would have been – it wouldn't probably admit it, but it was going to be weighing over – the the, the the crowd and I think that 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 energy and tension could be felt a, a, around amongst the team and amongst the players and I think that would have had an impact. You talk about the home court having a positive impact. Well, in some ways, that might be a, 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 a kind of a negative impact, um, and not not because of the fans. Like it's it, it's just an emotional game and they have no no control over feeling that way. But because Kawhi hit one of the biggest shots in, in league history, because of everything that was riding on it, uh, we don't have to ever worry about what would happen.
1: Yeah, and the Sixers have to now think about what happens going forward. The same way the Raptors had to think about that when they, when Vince Carter missed that shot, Sixers end up going to the finals. They go in tough against a tough Lakers squad. They win game one. They end up losing the next four, but at least they had that finals appearance to kind of build off of for the next seasons. Well, the Raptors were in kind of no man's land because they were so close, but still yet so far away with a superstar player. Uh, and then eventually they lose him and the rebuild begins. And that was a tough, tough time for the Toronto Raptors. Now you have the Sixers who lose that game, Game Seven a year ago. They lose Jimmy Butler. JJ uh, Redick's not there anymore. They kind of have to overpay guys to stay. They they try something new with Al Horford joining Joel Embiid. Hopefully, if the season does come back, that you know we'll figure out whether or not that was a success or not. But uh, if you're Philly, you know there's a lot of question marks around your team now. You know what, what do you do with Brett Brown after the season? Uh, does he get one more chance back at it because of the pause in the season? This really doesn't count for anybody, right? Like if it, if we don't have a playoff run, can you truly evaluate what Brett Brown has done this year? Maybe you don't. And I've been vocal in saying that I think Brett Brown kind of held them back a little bit uh, in in the, in the two, last two seasons. So a lot of question marks around Philly. None for the Raptors at this point. They are the reigning, defending NBA champions. And no one can take that away from them and started right there in that series, that four bounce And in for Kawhi Leonard. Uh, On NBA.com this week, a ton of Raptors content and a ton of content around the NBA. We will have X-Factors, our X-Factor series. Uh, Key note there, OG and who has been the X-Factor all season long. As you said, Gil, he did not play in the playoffs last year for the Raptors this season. He would be a big time X-Factor for this team. And a piece that they did not have a season ago for their playoff run. Uh, We also have Kyle Kuzma, who is the X-Factor for the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, You have LeBron, you have AD, but you need that third guy. Is it Kyle Kuzma? Is it someone else? We think that it could potentially be Kyle Kuzma and uh, a lot more Raptors Redux, a ton of Raptors. uh, Recap stuff from a season ago will lead into the Milwaukee Bucks series. Bring back some of the stuff that we had done a season ago and also uh, a different take on some of the stuff that we had done a season ago with that series. Now knowing the outcome, things that you weren't paying attention to in the moment. Now we have the 20,000 feet view and being able to see everything from that time. And then you have a fun article coming up, G. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas. Jonas Valanciunas would have played on Monday night against the Toronto Raptors. In Toronto for the first time since the trade, since him being traded for Mark Gasol, uh, we know that the championship wouldn't happen without Gasol. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas, however, has been hoping, hoping for the Memphis Grizzlies up until this point in the season, and it would have been the first opportunity. I mean, his per thirty-six numbers are nuts. It would have been his first opportunity to come back home to Toronto, the team that drafted him, the team he spent a, a, t- a large part of his career. Uh, and, and, and kind of get that love and appreciation and adornment that he wasn't able to get on the way out.
0: Yeah, you know, you, you look at his career path and, you know, him taking a year to come over after he was drafted. But in his first game, he goes for a double double. First career NBA game goes for a double double. He's an all rookie guy. Um, is, is a really big part in the Raptors making all of those, you know, consecutive playoff appearances. He was right there as that big man. Started from day one. Um, and, and then you talk about the impact he had on the franchise and, and the city and the impact that the city and the franchise had on him. He's the guy who, who made his way back to be there on hand for, for some of the playoff run last year and be there, and they were shown a lot of the love of him just being there at a capacity as a fan, so it can only imagine the type of reception he would get when stepping back on that floor at Scotiabank Arena for the first time in a long time. Because prior to his trade, he was injured for for some time, so it been sometimes he was able to play and take the floor there. But um, he's a guy who who goes and makes an immediate impact, you know, wherever he is. His first game as a, as a Grizzly. 20 and 10 double double and he's had a great year in about 20 games last year before he had an ankle injury and this year has had some some monster stat lines and has really um, just just showing his value and you talk about John Moran you talk about Jaron Jackson and, and Brandon Clark and Dylan Brooks and, and they're playing extremely well but is almost quietly sometimes is that anchor on the inside that, uh, that has that, that old school big man game back to the basket and he'll bruise you a little bit. And, and he can do some, some, some uh, modern day things too. But he's a guy who, who definitely deserves some attention for the things that he's doing in Memphis.
1: No question about it. He's, he is a guy that I don't think gets enough credit enough credit for the way that he's been able to prolong his career. If you remember when he was selected, the league was still you know, concerned about big men and back to basket guys, but it was slowly getting away from that. He comes into the league with that sort of skill set, able to change his game throughout. Has some sort of a, has a little bit of a face up game. Started taking threes when he was in Toronto. Not that he was shooting them at a high clip or anything, but the fact that he was taking them, entertaining them, to prolong his career, to go this far and still matter. And he was a starter, always a starter in Toronto. Now coming off the bench in Memphis, a little bit of a different role for him. Doesn't matter. He's still putting up huge numbers uh, on that team. So, uh, big shout out to you, uh, to JV and and. You know, this is the downfall of not having our season. We we can't really give him the appreciation uh, that I'm sure a lot of Toronto fans, some of which who booed him by the way when he was selected and weren't weren't happy with that, uh, could show him some appreciation. And we mentioned the Kyle, Larry, Demar, DeRozan era. Well, JV was that guy. He was he was the anchor to a lot of those runs. And I remember, I think the big, the best moment, my 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 favorite JV moment was. I mean, it's it's it sucks now, but. He had a, a terrific game in game one uh, in, in the year where Lebronto was born, so to speak, um, where he was right at the rim, missed a thousand layups to, to to win the game for Toronto. Uh, they, they end up going overtime and losing the game and then ended up getting swept in that series. But he was he was the only one of the only guys that was bringing it that entire game. He played his butt off that entire game and they almost win. If they win game one there how different could that series have been who knows yeah 21 uh, and 21
0: it, that game by the way. 21 points yeah. 21 boards that's, that's 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 amazing
1: by the way he probably had six of the re, those rebounds <laughs> on, on that there. last play <laughs> On that last play he was at the room for 20 minutes trying to finish the layup and time ran out on him so uh yeah shout out to JV that's probably one of my favorite JV memories in raptor jersey not just that moment but the entire game no one was bringing it he was the only one that was there and kept them and put them with a shot of winning the game in that uh in that scenario so uh, yeah, check out NBA.com for Gil's piece on that And so much more around the league And also around the Raptors For Gil McGregor, I am Carlin Gay You have a bunch of podcasts now in that feed Please rate, subscribe, tell all your friends Raptors Pod Table Podcast Every Tuesday, brand new episode And in between, we'll throw bonus episodes like crazy Because we have a lot of time on our hands And there's no basketball going on right now So we'll fill up that uh, that empty space in your heart with Raptors Podtable podcast. We will see you next week.
0: Get that garbage out of here!